Well, good morning, and hope all of you have a wonderful weekend this weekend, uh, Memorial Weekend, and uh, remembering the men and women who've stood up for us here and overseas. We appreciate them. Do we have any servicemen here today, maybe uh, present or past? Would you raise your hand? All right. Well, glad to have Glad to have you. We honor you. We thank you. If you have your Bibles, let's begin this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we'll read two verses. Verse 4 and 5. I commend you for going to church. Today, a lot of people skip this Sunday and and uh, make it a long weekend of rest and relaxation and peace. But a lot of times, you can get your best peace by worship. And uh, so, I hope I'm, I'm glad you took advantage of that today to be with God's people and the teaching of God's word. <clears throat> we are going to look at a doctrine that I've been uh, wanting to do something with this, and so I think uh, today we will put this before you. It's the doctrine of the Trinity. How can God be three in one? And I'm going to share with you that which is essentially the doctrine that the church has held since the beginning. This is the mainstream confession and belief of the church in any denomination. Now there are uh, some branches that go off but they're considered uh, error and they're relatively small. Uh, What I'm giving you today Uh, It may be new to you, but we don't talk much about the Trinity because it's so difficult. But it is, this is the traditional, historic Christian faith. So I'll give this to you this morning. And we'll begin in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Now, a lot of people pick up on this word one and say, how can God be three? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And some years ago, I came across this background study on the Hebrew word for one. It is Echad, E-C-H-A-D. It's a bit difficult to translate, but it means something like united. A plurality in unity. It is used, this, this Hebrew word here to translate it, the Lord is one. The word one is used as an example, in Genesis 2.24, when it says that a man shall leave father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. 
Now, obviously, that's two persons, but they are said by covenant to be one. Again, a plurality in unity. It's used in Genesis 41, verse 25, when Pharaoh had a dream. His dream was of some uh, seven fat ears of corn and then seven skinny ears of corn. And the skinny ones came and ate up the seven fat ones, and he didn't know how to interpret it. So he called in Joseph. And Joseph says this, Genesis 41, 25, the dream of Pharaoh is one. It's one single dream. Now it has different parts. It is a plurality in unity. Seven skinny ears, seven fat ears, and, and one devours the other. So, But he calls it one. It's even used, this word ekad is used in Ezra 2.64. When he talks about those who return from exile, he said the whole assembly of 42,000 was one. <laughs> Or one version says they were together, but it's the same Hebrew word, ekad, one. Well, obviously 42,000 isn't one, but it means they were one unit, one in spirit, one in purpose, and one in cause. So when, when Moses uses this term, he's actually pointing out some things that's... Uh, uh, he uses specifically a word that does not mean one digit. There is a Hebrew word that means uh, mathematic one. And that's not the word used here. But rather, it is the word which means a plurality that is unified. Also, you've got this uh, interesting statement from God in Genesis 1.26 when he says, God said... Let us make man in our image after our likeness. He said, let us. Who is us? And it can't be the angels because God created. They were part of creation, not the creators. Let us make man in our image. I hold that that means the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so when he makes man in his image, he makes him threefold. Spirit, soul, which is your emotions, and third, what? The body. So we are, we are threefold, spirit, soul, and body. Even the first society is father, mother, child. He makes us in his image. Even the cellular structure, the atoms, which form your constitution, is threefold. Protons, neutrons, and electrons. I know that is so because I asked my wife just last night. She affirmed. I, I came across 
some months ago, I was watching a documentary on the first nuclear test in New Mexico in World War II. I think about 1945, it brought to an end the war. And, uh, and uh, it was the first atomic explosion in New Mexico. It was a test case. Uh, and now these people aren't Christians. Oppenheimer, who designed the test, was Jewish. And in order to point out the characteristics of an atom, they called it the Trinity test. I don't even think they were referring to God, but it's so imprinted with the Trinity that they call the Adam test the Trinity test. That's why I think Romans 1.20 where Paul says, the invisible things of him from the creation are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. His Godhead. You can see from creation his eternal power and Godhead. Godhead is the uh, biblical word for Trinity. Trinity is not actually in the Bible. We call it the Trinity because it's the three persons of the Godhead. And he says you can see the imprint of the Godhead, Paul says, in the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. You see it in creation. And then in the New Testament, Matthew 3, 16 and 17 says, when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit came down like a dove. That's God the Spirit. And a voice from heaven said, that's God the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's God the Son. So at Jesus' baptism, you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Father, and the Holy Son of God. In the baptism which Jesus teaches his disciples, Matthew 28, 19, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Again, threefold. One name, though, the name, not the names of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But one name, He's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is God's name, singular. 2 Corinthians 13 and 14, Paul finished his letters to the Corinthians. The last verse is a blessing pronounced on him. He says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Notice that, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So you see in both Old and New Testaments the triune God. It doesn't explain it so much as it just reveals it. And, and let me say this, don't be amazed that God is so wonderful 
and glorious that we cannot grasp it with our minds. That's okay. Amen? We're just not that uh, intellectual. No one can fully comprehend God. He's revealed Himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. We embrace that by faith. That's been the church's confession uh, for millennium. Now, what are the characteristics of each member of the Trinity? What are the characteristics of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Let me give you four or five. One, they are distinct. The Father is always the Father. The Father is not the Son. They, are dis they can be identified and distinguished from each other, but they are not synonymous with each other. The Father is the Father. Jesus was not the Father in the flesh. He was the Son of God in the flesh. The Spirit is not the Son. The Son sent the Spirit. So they are always distinct. In John 5.20, the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He is doing. But in John 14.31, Jesus said, I do what the Father commands me so the world will know I love the Father. The, the Father loves the Son and shows Him. He's very transparent with the Son. He tells Him everything. And the Son loves the Father and does all that the Father wills. This is a beautiful circle of love in eternity. And so although God the Father, God the Son are often distinguished Jesus is never distinguished from the Son because He is the Son. They are distinct from each other. Number two, they are co-equal. John 5, 18. It's, it says of Jesus, the Pharisees wanted to stone Him because it says He was calling God His Father in a way that made Himself equal with God. Jesus made Himself equal equal with God, John 5, 18. They are equal with each other. Jesus accepted worship. Jesus forgave sins. Jesus said, even this, I will resurrect myself from the dead. If you're not God, that's not something you're going to want to say. He said in John 2, 19, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, and in three days I will raise it up. I will raise it up. He was equal to God the Father. And what about the Holy Spirit? 2 Corinthians 3, 15 says, When Moses is read, speaking of the Jews, a veil is on their heart. But when they turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now listen, 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. When they turn to the Lord, that is, to the Holy Spirit, He takes away the veil and they can see. So, Jesus is Lord 
and the Spirit is Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Third, the three persons of the Godhead are also eternal. Each pre-existed creation. John 17, 4 and 5, uh, Jesus in his last days on earth, he, he's praying to the Father and he says, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work you gave me to do and now Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. He laid, Jesus laid aside his glory, came to earth to die for our sins, and he prays to the Father. Now, Father, he says, I've accomplished your work. Now give me back the glory I had with you. Notice, not as you, but with you. Grant the glory that I had before the world existed. That's Jesus praying in John 17, 4. Is the Holy Spirit eternal? Hebrews 9, 14 says, Christ, through the eternal Spirit, offered Himself to God. He calls the Spirit the eternal Spirit. That's what I would call preexistent. The Holy Spirit never knew a time when He came into creation or into existence. He's eternal. Just as the Father is eternal and the Son is eternal, so the Holy Spirit, Hebrews 9, 14, is eternal. And then fourth, we would say that the three persons of the Godhead are persons. They are not forces or simply powers to be. They are three persons. You, you may be familiar with the hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song will rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, O blessed Trinity. A hymn that is uh, in our hymn book on Bristol Road, it's either the first one or the second one in the hymn book. So they are three persons, O blessed Trinity. God is not a force to be reckoned with. He is a father to be reconciled with. For eternity, God was a father to a son by the Spirit. Last night, um, Jan was asking me what I would like uh, to eat a little bit uh, in the evening and and uh, she would come by and she would stand there for a moment and then she'd reach over and tickle me and it was kind of getting annoying I said I, I don't care whatever you want to fix is fine and she said okay and she turned and she tickled me again she went in and I thought you know what she's going to heat something up I have a microwave that does that. There is a difference in heating something in a microwave 
and having a person. You delight in the person. You enjoy the person. The person is what makes the meal. Christianity is a religion of persons. Not rituals. Not simply rules and commands. But persons. And sometimes God will just reach down and tickle us. <laughs> just say, hey, you know what? I'm thinking about you. I love you. In this way, for eternity, God was a father to his son by the Spirit. This means that God is love, always has been love. Amen? Always has been love. If you take out the Trinity, it means God is one with no equal to love and delight in. So God is not primarily a father. He's simply a creator. And so you end up with Islam or Judaism. But if you inject the Trinity, all of a sudden the person of God loves another person, the Son, by the Spirit for eternity that defines who God is and what God is like. just finished reading Ezekiel and came across a verse that I, I've read it before. It it's just blows my mind. Ezekiel 6 and 9, talking about the return of the exiles. He says, Those who escape will remember me among the nations where you were carried captives because I am broken with your idolatrous heart. And I, I wrote in the margin, wow. God is broken? He, he is broken with the idolatrous heart. Holman Standard Version says, I was crushed with your idolatrous heart. See, that's a person. That's a person who loves... The shortest verse in the New Testament or in the Bible you're probably familiar with, Jesus wept. And of course, Ephesians 4.30, if you talk about the Spirit, he says, don't grieve the Spirit. This word grieve means is a love word. It's not simply offend or, or hinder, but it's grieve. Grief has to do with persons. The father is a person whose heart can be broken. The, the son is a person who weeps at the grave and the spirit is a person who can be grieved in his soul. One other thing. The th three persons are also divine they are divine persons. That is, they are deity. They are equal in their majesty and sovereignty. And so when I say they are divine, it means that we can pray to them. Have you ever wondered if we can pray to Jesus? 
Jesus taught us to pray to the Father in Matthew 6. But Acts 7.59 says that when Stephen was being stoned, he was calling upon God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord Jesus. He called on God saying, Lord Jesus. So you can address your request to Jesus. Although we would say more properly, you pray to the Father through the Son, through the merits of the Son, by the Spirit. That is, the Spirit prompts you to pray. He stirs your affections. He inclines your heart and burdens it with what to pray for. This is Ephesians 2.17. Through Him, that is through Christ, we all have access in one Spirit to the Father. So it's through Him to the Father in the Spirit. But we can pray to the Son. Uh, and one other thing, can we pray to the Spirit? Um, I give you this verse. It, there's, not, there's not a lot of evidence on praying to the Spirit. The Spirit likes to defer back to the Son and to the Father. But in Ezekiel, the prophet saw all these dry bones. And, and God said, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel said, Lord, you know. And he said, prophesy or speak to the wind or the spirit. Speak to the spirit. And he said, I spoke to the spirit. Come spirit and resurrect these bones. And he did. And the spirit came. And they stood up. And flesh and sinew came together on these bones and they became a mighty army. You can pray for the Spirit. You can even pray to the Spirit. Normally, the standard is to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. Now I want to close with this. When Moses, in Deuteronomy 6, says... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And he uses the Hebrew term for a plurality and a unity. A society of love. Why, the, why does he then say, you are to love this God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's the very next verse. The Lord is one. Love him. Here's what Moses is doing in the most famous, the most famous text read in the synagogues to this day. He's saying, look, God is one. He is a society of love, perfect love. Has been so for eternity. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. And this love is conveyed by the Spirit and has been so for eternity. And he says, and you love them. You enter their fellowship. You are invited to join them 
so that your family reflects the divine family. Your heart reflects the divine heart. You are invited to join the love the Father has for the Son. That's why in a most incredible statement, Jesus says in John 17, 23, as He prays to the Father, He says, Let them know that I have loved them as you have loved me. That's just incredible. That Jesus has loved his disciples. Let them know, he says, that I have loved them as you have loved me. How does the Father love the Son of God? Well, the Son of God's never been dis disobedient, never had an attitude, never pouted, never one time hesitated to obey. In every crisis, the Son of God always pleased the Father. Oh, how the Father must love the Son. And Jesus says, Father, let them know. I love them like you've loved me. That's intense, guys, I'm telling you. That's, that's intense. That's how much Jesus loves us. And he's got good things planned for us. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to sound like Joel Osteen. I listened to Joel Osteen this morning and it was good. I thought, I like that. I like that. So I, I, I'm, I'm sounding a little bit like him. But listen to this. 1 John 1, 3. John says, I want you to join us in fellowship. For our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. John is saying, I'm in fellowship and the church is in fellowship with the Father and the Son. And I want you to join us in that. That's the same thing that Moses did. He said, God is one. That is, He's a plurality and unity that loves each other in a cycle of eternity, a divine dance and celebration. So love that God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Enter into that, embrace that society. When you have a graduation or a birthday party or whatever celebration you might have. And it is, there's just something about us that wants to reach out and sweep others into this. So we send out invitations. Maybe we're going to get married or maybe it's a reception. And we, we invite people, come and join us in our happiness let us share our joy with you. That's what God has done. The, the Father celebrates the Son. The Son loves and adores the Father. He is so wonderful that the Son wants us to celebrate with Him the Father's love and goodness. And the Spirit operates to bring it all together. It is a grand, glorious celebration. He is sweeping us into that divine society. He wants 
that celebration to be bigger. Amen. I'm glad he's invited us in. I hope you will join that fellowship today through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. And ushers, if you will prepare to let us worship with our tithes and our offerings. We love the Father. We love the Son. And we love the Holy Spirit. And we want to join that celebration today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the invitation to belong to you, to be part of your people, to be part of heaven's celebration and this eternal love and life that you offer. May we today eagerly come to you through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.